the Brixton riots of April 1981, sparked by institutionalised racism, police harassment and urban deprivation. My name is Jade James and throughout this podcast, I explore how racial tensions and crowd psychology triggered the onset of the 1981 uprising. As stated by Sheldon Thomas, a participant in the riots who was just 16 years old at the time, our agenda was to fight the police officers. Somebody was going to die and it weren't going to be me. It was kill. Part 1. Racial Marginalisation in the UK The racial alienation of the black community from British society explains how both racial tensions and cloud psychology led to the disorder and can be understood in terms of politics. The Conservative government in power led by Margaret Thatcher since 1975 had a hardline approach to immigration. This is illustrated by Thatcher's comments in a 1978 television interview for current affairs programme World in Action. She stated, People are really rather afraid that this country might be swamped by people with a different culture. And also went on to say, The British character has done so much for democracy, for law, and done so much throughout the world that if there is any fear that it might be swamped, people are going to react and be rather hostile to those coming in. The government's approach to immigration meant that racism shadowed the arrival of Commonwealth citizens. Since the Second World War, the UK saw an increase of immigrants from the West and East Indies, and Brixton was an area where some of these individuals resided. Those who arrived in the UK from the Caribbean islands between 1948 and 1971 have been labelled the Windrush generation. Linton Kwesi Johnson, a Jamaican poet, is regarded as the voice of the Windrush generation. His radical poetry, spoken in Jamaican patois, creatively articulates the experiences of the black youth of his generation, and he highlights how racism and police oppression were everyday experiences for black people when he was growing up. His poem entitled The Great Insurrection was about the 1981 Brixton uprising, and being written from the perspective of those who participated in the, in the riots, captures the mood of exhilaration felt by black people at the time. The second verse best illustrates this mood. It was the event of the year, and I wish I had been there, when we ran riot all over Brixton, when we mash up plenty police van, when we mash up the wicked one plan, when we mash up the swamp 81, for what? To make them rule of them understand that we not take no more of them oppression. Thus the disorder of the 1981 Brixton riots was a response by the black community to the racial oppression that they faced. In an interview with The Guardian, Linton Johnson discusses the alienation that black people felt. He stated, It was a myth that immigrants didn't want to fit into British society. We weren't allowed. This is also expressed by Sheldon Thomas, who stated, Most of us in my posse of young black youth decided we were no longer going to associate ourselves as British. We were now African-Caribbean. The black community responded to alienation by British society by refusing to identify as British even though they were born in the UK. Instead, they acknowledged their ethnic heritage. In an article entitled Riots, Rhymes and Reason, Johnson also mentions how the labour movement fought back against Thatcher's government and how the black working class was involved in those struggles. Organisations like the Black Parents Movement, the Black Youth Movement, the Race Today Collective and the Badford Black Collective struggle for racial equality, social justice and radical change. 
Every institution of the state was riddled with racism and none more so than the police. This leads me to the next section of the podcast. Part two, the relationship between the black community and the police. I wanted to consult an expert, and so I set off to meet Dr. William Henry, an associate professor in the School of Law and Criminology at the University of West London. He described the general relationship between the black community in the UK and the police during the time of the 1981 Brixton riots. The significance of this is it highlights that racial inequality was not exclusive to Brixton and was experienced by the black community on a nationwide scale. And it was one of the February, very, very tense. It was um, dominated by mistrust, probably a bit on both sides, but I would say more justified on our side as, as blacks, Africans, whatever we want to call ourselves. Um, and although people will try and isolate Brixton, those tensions were being felt across the country because you know I've always been involved in sound systems, performed on them for a while, etc. And wherever we went across the country, our situation, especially as black youth, was exactly the same. We were treated with hostility, suspicion. In fact, I'll, I'll frame in a context for you. When I started work in 1973, I was 16, I used to have a letter to explain my black presence uptown. This is in England. I had to have a letter to explain to the police why I was up to West End. It's 1973. So, because oftentimes what people do is they look at it like, oh, 1981. No, it's a build-up. And the other thing is it was not a black riot, which is what a lot of people say. There were a lot of the people who actually agitated, organised, and supplied some of the weaponry that was thrown at the police, etc., were anarchists, like Socialist Workers' Party and people like that. Or representatives of, I'm not saying they were the Socialist Workers' Party, but I'm saying representatives of anarchist groups were in there as well. The 1981 Brixton riots were a conflict between the Black British youth and the Metropolitan Police. As Dr. Henry points out, it is significant to note that although most of the rioters were black, some whites also participated, showing how deprivation in Brixton was not solely due to racial tensions, but also class inequality. For example, housing in Lambeth was of a poor standard and unemployment was high, blacks being 65% of those unemployed. Operation Swamp 81 had ignited the fire. Again, you know, people don't really speak to this, but we had something called the Sus Laws. It was based on some 18-something vagrancy act where they could stop and search you as a suspicious person. But that was deployed against black youth in particular. In pockets of London, other parts of the country I've heard, like some of my friends from Manchester said, they would deploy them against white boys or whatever. But in London, they used it against black boys. And it was actually a woman called Mavis Best who I believe it was in 1976 or 77, she organised something called the Stop the Sus campaign. And her, with mothers and concerned parents of Lewisham, began it and then it mushroomed out and then it was backed by some Labour Party members and that is what got the Sus law abolished. The 1824 Vagrancy Act meant that individuals could be arrested based on suspicion and the black youth were disproportionately targeted. In the six days leading up to the riots, there were approximately 1,000 stop and searches in Brixton, 
infuriating the local population and heightening tensions between the police and the black community. Many black people have come forward to discuss racial harassment they experienced at the hands of the police during this time period. For example, Tony Seeley, a participant in the riots, recalled, it was a time of danger. It was an awakening that it wasn't a small thing happening to me and some of my friends. Harassment happened to a lot of young people in inner city communities. I do remember lots of times being stopped and searched, the special patrol groups fans. Sheldon Thomas also recalled, I took a dustbin lid and flung it at a police officer's head. I watched the steel fly into his face and took pleasure in the pain it inflicted. That was for all the racist and physical abuse I had endured over the years. In a BBC World Service podcast called Witness Black History, The Brixton Riots, Thomas discusses the racial conflict between the black community and states, We couldn't separate police from the National Front, except one wore uniform, the other one didn't. It was an us versus them situation, and I was going to be a part of that. This was battle lines drawn. Dr. Henry himself also remembers experiencing racial harassment from the police. He emphasises that the police's racist treatment in dealing with the black community was the main factor which sparked the Brixton riots of 1981. I think that it's important to always remember that what started it, what the catalyst was, was the treatment of youth by the police. Because they were doing an operation, I think it was Swamp, they had what they called the special patrol group then. And the special patrol group used to just basically go around and harass, bully and beat black boys. I experienced it myself directly. And I know loads of people I grew up with around Lewisham. And we used to move all around London with sound systems and dances. And our experiences were always the same. This shows how the relationship between the police and black community links to the racial marginalisation of the black community as discussed in part one. A 1966 report published by the Commonwealth Institute reported that the police used dogs to, to chase black people and confirmed that constables left the Brixton police station with the purpose of harassing West Indians and other ethnic groups. A statement by Brian Paddock, a former officer who was on duty during the riots, also serves as evidence that police deliberately terrorised members of the black community. He stated that he overheard a colleague advise another that the one you stop is often wearing a woolly hat. He is dark in complexion, he has thick lips, and he usually has dark, fuzzy hair. Deborah Platz Fowler, a lecturer of criminology at the Victoria University of Wellington in New Zealand, investigates explanations for the 2011 London riots in an article entitled Beyond the Loot, Social Disorder and Unrest. In light of her analysis, I noticed similarities between the Brixton 1981 riots and the 2011 London riots. She mentions how anger at the police is a key motivation for some riot participants and how styles of policing can also provoke rioters. For instance, adversarial styles of policing, such as stop and search, are widely reported to promote defiance rather than compliance. During both the 2011 and 1981 riots, some participants rejected opportunities to loot to focus on the police, highlighting the importance of policing grounded on principles of procedural justice, which focuses on the way police and other legal authorities interact with the public and how the characteristics of those interactions shape the public's view of the police, their willingness to obey the law, and actual crime rates. 
When I asked Dr. Henry if the Brixton riots caused a shift in the relationship between the police and black community, he stated, Things did shift for a while because the government, for the first time, took it seriously. Because what you have to understand is the black community were generally rendered voiceless. We don't have much of a voice now, but we were voiceless. So I remember, you know, my parental generation, some of them only really took note of what we were telling them about our treatment by the police after that kicked off. Because you're almost burning down your own homes. That's what you're doing. And if you get to the point where you are burning your own home, then people need to take note. So for, you know, for, for, for a lot of people that like the government didn't care, you know, Thatcher was in, she was two years into her first reign and she didn't care. She was already mobilising against the black community. So youth clubs were being closed. You know, nowadays they say, oh, the youth clubs are closed. Well, they started that from 1979, Thatcher did that. And she deployed the police against us. And she actually came out with, you know, you, you can look up some of her comments, but she, she basically was totally against the black community. The Brixton riots forced the government, as well as the wider UK population, to acknowledge the issues which sparked the riots. Dr. Henry shows that the trigger links back to racial marginalisation by the state, such as the government's stance towards immigration. However, other issues such as racial and class inequalities and social economic hardship also contributed. The Scarman report, which was an inquiry into the riots issued by Lord Scarman, accepted that some police officers were guilty of ill-considered, immature and racially prejudiced actions in their dealings on the streets with young black people. Lord Scarman also stated that there was no doubt racial disadvantage was a fact of current British life and warned that urgent action was necessary to stop racial inequality from becoming an endemic, ineradicable disease. However, it also controversially concluded that the direction and policies of the Metropolitan Police are not racist and that institutional racism does not exist in Britain. It is clear that events leading up to the riots, such as Operation Swamp 81, combined with racial marginalisation and socio-economic inequality, amplify the frustration of blacks towards the entrenched racism within society which disadvantaged them. Part 3. How crowd mentality triggered the unrest. Crowd mentality, also known as pack or mob mentality, is defined as the tendency for people's behaviour or beliefs to conform to those of the group to which they belong. Dr. Henry also describes crowd mentality. So for me, the pack mentality is this. You will get caught up in that situation and you will find yourself in a predicament which you would normally avoid. But it's that you see loads of people doing it and you just do it impulsively. It's a bit like, um, I don't know if you've ever been to a very public event and people just start running. And then everybody starts running. We used to do that as kids, and I've seen kids do that. They would just be in a fun fair and just start running, and then you would just see everybody run. So that's what it is. And the reason why I think that is important is because much of what they suggested with regards to the 2011 uprisings, disruptions, away from the catalyst, which was Mark Duggan and what happened, but people were saying it was organised, it was gangs, it was this, there were gangs of young people, invariably black is what we got to the, in the press. And they were saying, you know, they were 
there were gangs planning to loot shops and that. No, if you look at it, most of it, it was a mob mentality, and a mob mentality is not a gang mentality. The irony there is the gangs who organised the looting were generally white gangs, Eastern Europeans apparently, and others, who were getting vans. So when the police were concentrating in places like Tottenham, they would go on the outskirts and rob all the warehouses. This is what was happening. But we don't really get that story. We get gang. And that's why I said we need to be clear on is it gang related or is it a pack mentality? Because in a pack mentality, you will find yourself doing things that you normally wouldn't do. And it's because you get caught up in that rush, that excitement. Significantly, he differentiates between crowd mentality and gang mentality and stresses the importance of refraining from generalising black youth as gang-affiliated, an element which connects back to the racial alienation of the black community within society. The classical view of crowd psychology is expressed by French psychologist Gustave Le Bon. According to Le Bon, when people become anonymous within the mass, they lose their individual identity and become irrational, causing ideas and emotions to become contagious. Lebon's theory of irrationality is challenged by the social identity theory as formulated by Henry Tajfel and John Turner in 1979. The theory explains that part of a person's concept of self comes from the groups to which that person belongs to. Thus, a person does not just have a single personal identity, for multiple identities associated with their affiliated groups. According to this theory, one does not lose his individual values and standards when he joins a crowd, but rather, those values and standards conform to those associated with a relevant group. I think that the social identity theory provides an understanding of crowd behaviour during the 1981 Brixton riots. Those involved who are part of the black community all shared a common aspect of social identity. They were of Afro-Caribbean heritage. Thus, their shared identity influenced them to collectively participate in riots against the racial inequality that they face as a collective in the Brixton community. The social identity theory is also discussed by John Drury, a professor of social psychology at the University of Sussex, and Clifford Stott, also a professor of social, of social psychology at Keele University. They reject Le Bon's theory of irrationality because it brands crowds as universally irrational regardless of context. Instead, they believe crowd behaviour must be interpreted in light of the social context of the participants. Steve Riker of the University of St Andrews analyses the St Paul's riot in Bristol using the social identity approach. He recognises that while the behaviour of the rioters was violent, violence was found to reflect the social identity shared by the rioters. He mentions that the social identity of the rioters had three key features, the geographical lo locality of the St. Paul's neighbourhood, a history of antagonism with the police, and a desire for change which conflicted with the high rates of unemployment and poverty. In my view, this mirrors the circumstances surrounding the 1981 Brixton riots. The borough of Lambeth and Brixton where the riots occurred was an area of deprivation with high unemployment rates and poor living conditions, contributing to the frustration of the community. And similarly to the situation in St Paul's, in Brixton, there was also conflict between the community and the police due to institutionalised racism. This emphasises how social identity influences crowd behaviour as individuals with similar causes come together to achieve a common goal.
Lastly, Clark McPhail and Ronald Wallstein take a different approach to crowd psychology in an article entitled Individual and Collective Behaviours Within Gatherings, Demonstrations and Riots. They state that homogenous treatment of the crowd creates a common experience, promoting group identification and group behaviour. Once unified, an action against one member of the group is perceived as an action against the whole group. This means that police actions, such as dividing up the crowd to avoid congestion or restricting access to certain areas, may be seen by the crowd as hostile acts and attempts to disrupt the unity of the crowd. It is significant to note how the factors of racial marginalisation of the black community within the UK society and conflict between the Brixton community and the police influenced the crowd behaviour of the Brixton community during the 1981 riots. The community faced oppression as a whole due to circumstances which they all shared in terms of socio-economic hardship and racial inequality. This ultimately impacted their behaviour as a crowd and attacking police officers was representative of rebellion against the oppressive state. Thank you for listening. This is Jay James.